1: Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead
0: by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. There is nothing more effective than anointed, empowered preaching. And in today's program we're going to see this kind of preaching that brings results as we continue to learn the Gospel of Matthew. Our series is entitled The Kingly Messiah Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part One, a verse by verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. And this lesson is called John's Convicting Sermons. The lessons are found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. And there are certain things we are going to learn. But what I want to show you here is, as we focus on the ministry of John the Baptist, and it's important that we do, because he's the forerunner. My phrase is simple. When you see John, Jesus is not far behind. He is preparing the way for the coming, the ministry, and the redemptive work of Christ. Jesus and John were related biologically. They were cousins. They are also related in their ministry call the fact that there was a supernatural conception for both of them, one in a very aged woman named Elizabeth, the other in a very young woman named Mary. And Mary and Joseph had not consummated their marriage yet when Jesus came into the womb. So uh, yeah, there's interesting parallels between Elizabeth and and Mary. And you can read about Mary's visit with Elizabeth in the Gospel of Luke. John's convicting sermon. He says a lot in this passage, and he goes on to say this in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 3. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This is an amazing promise and prophecy that is reiterated in all four Gospels and in Acts chapter 1. That the one that was following John the Baptist, he's the forerunner, the one following him is the fulfillment. He will be greater than John, he will be holier than John. So holy that John says, I am not even worthy to bear his Shoes. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is important. We'll learn more about this down the track. But first of all, John gives a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Intriguingly, he does so well at his preaching, and people are coming from far and wide to hear him that wherever you see a crowd, the ambitious, seek to come along. People do like success and in some cases worship success and the successful, so when they see somebody really doing well, let, let's find out what the fuss is all about. Let's go and see. Pharisees and Sadducees came to look at John and he tells them off. So if you think it's only Jesus that had issues with Pharisees and Sadducees, so did John. And he basically says to them that you are in serious trouble. You are a generation of vipers and you are not even prepared to flee from the wrath to come. Now if you want to flee from the wrath to come, you have to have what is called fruit of repentance. How do we know that someone repents? It's not just because they say sorry and shed a tear and put on a pretense of remorse. It's their actions. They stop doing the things that caused the grief and the sin to begin with. That's called the fruit of repentance. And then he says an intriguing thing. Don't come to me and say, well, look, we'll be fine because we are biologically related to Father Abraham, the patriarch. Forget it. God can raise up stones to be the children of Abraham. Already the axe is at the root of the tree. If it brings forth fruit, it remains. If it is barren spiritually and no fruit of repentance and no fruit to God, It'll be chopped down. And then he talks about the coming king, and he explains the ministry of Messiah. He, Messiah, among other things, will baptize followers, not just in water like John, but baptize them or immerse them in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wonderful things, and we're going to cover them in just a few moments. It's time to read the entire passage of Matthew chapter 3, 7 to 12. Our lesson is called John's Convicting Sermons. And again, the reference is Matthew chapter 3, 7 to 12. This is the word of the Lord. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And indeed I, indeed, baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 7-12. to 12. And the lesson is called John's Convicting Sermons. What is the background? Well, this is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah. He commences his ministry by preaching in the Judean wilderness and baptizing penitent people in the Jordan River. It is in this context that Jesus will make his first public debut to Israel and to the world. So we begin with the stinging rebuke of John. To the religious elite. It wasn't just Jesus who had issues with Pharisees and Sadducees. As these two Jerusalem groups came to John's baptism, he unleashes a very serious rebuke. He calls them Generation of Vipers. Wow, and that's only just the beginning. Who warned you to flee from God's wrath? Failing to repent will result in encountering God's wrath. That's as simple as it gets. Repentance is one of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Just read it in Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Hebrews 6, 1. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why did they even bother to come to see John's ministry at the Jordan River in the first place? Possibly because he was so popular and so effective, and, as flesh always does, It wants to get closer to those who are deemed to be successful. John does give a way out. It's called fruit of repentance. John's words have, in my opinion, universal application. If you're going to avoid the wrath to come, you need to repent. Now, that's, of course, on the assumption you believe there is a God, that you believe he is holy and righteous, that you believe that his standards must prevail over all, and that he will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. If you believe that, then you need to bring forth fruit of repentance, because apparently we all need to bring forth the fruit of repentance. All of us. Even those who are nice people, maybe born in a Christian family, maybe have lived a kind, generous, godly-style life, but it's not enough. We have to repent. Repentance, as one person put it, means to turn around, or sorry enough to quit, because none of us are free of sins. If you think, oh no, I'm a good person, I'm not a sinner, then just take this little quiz. Go to Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments. Read through the Ten Commandments and ask yourself clearly and honestly, have I kept every one of these commandments from my youth even till now? Have I violated them either in action or in thought? Because Jesus says it's not enough to avoid the actions. You have to repent of the thoughts too. For example, hatred of another person is deemed the same as murder. These are not my words, these are Jesus's. And you'll learn about them in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. So when hatred is deemed the same as murder, then many, in fact perhaps all of us at some point in our pre-Christian life, to be guilty of murder for hating somebody like we do. That's part of the horrible legacy of the culture war that's been raging since the 1960s, is the hate-filled, insulting, demonizing rhetoric that's uttered against other human beings. It, it's the same as murder, as far as the Gospels are concerned, and it needs to be repented. As the saying goes, we need to wash out our mouth with soap. All right, well, really, it's more than that We need to have the blood of Jesus wash out our hearts of sin. We need to bring the fruit of repentance. John's words, as I said, have universal application. In order to prove your repentance is genuine, it has to be accompanied by fruit or good works. For example, if you want to repent of your lust, then throw out all suggestive, sensuous media, both hard and soft copy. If you're sorry for your thievery, make restitution to those you have defrauded. That's the fruit of repentance. And then there's the issue of Father Abraham, and that's Matthew 3, verse 9. It was tempting for the Pharisees and Sadducees, indeed, for the Jewish people as a whole, to lean back, relax, and say, no problems, we will be fine. We are descendants of Abraham, God's friend and covenant partner. John is popping that bubble very fast. Yes, there can be blessing by being Abraham's descendant, but it also comes with responsibility too. Failure to conform can result in even greater punishment than for non-Abrahamic sinners. What is the reason? To whom much is given, much is required, according to Luke 12 verse 48. Furthermore, God is not limited. If the first crop of Abraham's descendants fails, he is powerful and creative enough to take the stones and raise up more descendants for Abraham. That's what God is able to do. I mean, he did tell Moses at one point, I'm so fed up with these rebellious, complaining, murmuring, sinful children of Israel in the wilderness. I will just blot them out and raise up to you, Moses, a whole new chosen people. Well, thank God for Moses' intercessory ministries. It didn't happen. But the fact is, God is able to raise up others to fill the void if we don't come to the plate. And then he talks about the axe is at the root of the tree. The sermon sizzles. He tells the Jewish elite more hard truth. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. If the tree does not bear fruit, it will be hacked down and thrown into the fire without confession repentance and the fruit of repentance the sad truth is people perish like the fallen tree but then there's the promise of a coming king in matthew 3 11 the coming king john explains the plan his water baptism is for repentance the coming one who is the king is mightier than john who is not even worthy to carry his shoes. He will baptize people in the Holy Spirit and with fire. As I said, this promise is reiterated in the other three Gospels and in the book of Acts. That's how important it really is. It appears that there are three baptisms alluded to here. Baptism of water, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and baptism of fire. Now, what is this baptism of fire? It can imply all kinds of things it could be immersion in suffering suffering can be like fire it can be purging which can be like suffering but purging cleanses us burns up the dross the dead wood wood and the brown leaves it can be purifying the fire can be even empowering fire is one of those symbols of the holy spirit and is often used as a metaphor for revival. Other symbols of the Holy Spirit include water, wine, oil, wind, as well as fire. When you see these, they're not the Holy Spirit, of course. They're simply a tangible symbol of the Holy Spirit, sort of like a marriage with a ring on the finger. When you see a ring on someone's finger, a particular kind of ring, it implies they are married. Now, the ring itself is not the marriage, the ring is the tangible, visible, physical symbol of the marriage. Or just like an Australian flag, when you see that flag flying, the flag is not Australia. The flag represents the nationhood and the people of Australia or of any other nation that has a flag. So baptism is very important here. It means immersion in water, in the Spirit, in fire. Holy Spirit baptism is a permanent, invisible, heavenly immersion for empowerment. Baptism of fire, of course, I've already explained what it could mean for purifying, for empowering, for revival. And baptism of water in John's time was for repentance. In our case, it's to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, our last verse is Matthew 3, verse 12, Messiah Explained. Regarding the Holy Spirit and fire, we're told the coming king has a fan in his hand. He will purge the floor thoroughly. Nothing will be left on the ground. The wheat will be gathered into the storehouse, and the chaff will be burnt up with unquenchable fire. In this verse, Matthew 3.12, fire represents final judgment. Again, the way to avoid it is confession of sins and repentance because otherwise it's a very, very fearful destiny. So, our lesson is called John's Convicting Sermons. And what is our lesson for life? As faith without works is dead, so repentance without fruit is vain. And just remember, despite the heaviness of the sermon, John connected with people, and they came from far and wide to be baptized of him in the Jordan, while they confessed their sins. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations, Education, and thank you for liking our page. Please also go to our homepage at tan.tan.org.au so you can subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter. Our goal is to give you value-added content to help you become future-ready. We do this through articles from the Bible, Victorious Christian living and current events in the light of God's word. Let's pray. Thank you, heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, for the message of John. This kind of preaching is extremely extremely rare. But I pray that those of us who do preach, moving in the Holy Spirit, grounded in your word, with a Christ-centered attitude and a God-honoring heart, will share people the truth in love, so that they too can flee from the wrath to come and be safely delivered into your kingdom, which has no end. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.